Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This episode is sponsored by Karen Hallian. Karen Hallian is an incredible illustrator who creates beautiful fandom art. If you enjoy the types of fandoms that we talk about on this podcast, you're really gonna like Karen's work. You can buy prints, stickers, and other products at karenhallian.com. And you can also check out her Patreon and join the 1,000 other people who support her art at patreon.com slash karenhallian. Hey, welcome to the Sartorial Geek Podcast. I'm Jordan Ellis of Jordan Denae, and I am here with Erin McDonald. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, um, you got to meet some of the Sartorial Geek team at Rose City this year, um, and then we connected online, and you are a super impressive person which is also I was like getting a little nervous before hitting record just reading like your bio um oh thank you it it is an honor to be talking to you this is really cool I appreciate it and yeah I mean I was immediately sucked in at the booth at Rose City because I was like oop kindred spirits (laughs) this is somewhere I need to be well yeah yeah your homepage is like I mean, literally everything that I'm obsessed with, and especially like we just did a space and science issue of the magazine. So I'm like in the zone right now, but you have all of these, like, like, uh, an actual science background. And then are also, I'm assuming a big nerd based on like <laughs> yeah. your bio mentioning every sci-fi and fantasy show and movie that I'm obsessed with. Good. Yeah, I really don't hold back. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah, if you could see, so, if we had video of this right now, my back is all like, you know, Star Trek models and Star Wars and yeah, yeah. Hubble Legos and all of those things. So, yes. It makes me so happy when, I mean, there the overlap between like science and sci-fi obviously makes a lot of sense, but I love when I meet people who actually do love both because you could, you know, you could just be super into sci-fi or, you know, be a professional scientist and there isn't necessarily always an overlap, but I think it's really, really cool when there is. Thanks. Yeah. And I mean, that's really kind of my target audience. I, for, you know, people who don't know the reason I was at Rose City is I give talks on the science behind science fiction and I'm no longer in academia. I'm not a professor, so I don't get to teach on a regular basis. And I now use sci-fi conventions to teach science and I love it. There's such a crossover of sci-fi fans who are just kind of tangentially interested in science, but never went into it. And, you know, they might read articles here and there and find it cool, but then they have an opportunity to meet a scientist and connect it to their reference points It's really just a a fabulous intersection of geekery (laughs) that I love. Yeah. That's so cool, too, because, I mean, as as an adult who's interested in science-y things, but also, like, my career is not in that field, sometimes it does feel like, you know, whatever you didn't learn before graduating high school or college, like you just kind of are stuck there. Um, So it's really cool that there are like 
you know, that you're doing that sort of thing that's accessible for adults who aren't working in the field, but still are super interested in science because it's kind of hard to like have access to that as an adult. Yeah, it really is. And to find the right balance, you know, people ask all the time, what books would you recommend for someone like me? And, and it's a hard thing to answer. There's really not that many out there. You know, they'll say, well, I read this one and I read this one. And, and is there anything else? And I'm like, well, no, right. You can keep coming to my talks. (laughs) So, so, so so you used to be a professor Full yeah. Time. Yeah. So I went into academia. I did my undergraduate degrees in physics and mathematics. I did a concentration in astrophysics and I did research during that time in radio astronomy. So I was at the University of Colorado in Boulder, which was great because they had so many research opportunities for undergraduates. So I did research in Ooh. radio astronomy there, which is where I got to fulfill my Dr. Ellie Arroway from contact obsession. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, yeah. First time I ever operated a radio telescope. I was a hundred percent in that movie right there. Um, and and, uh, then I carried on from that and I went into graduate school and I studied gravitational waves. So I got a lot more theoretical and started looking at as part of the LIGO collaboration, I was at the university of Glasgow in Scotland and studying gravitational waves that we were trying to detect from neutron stars and gamma ray bursts. And, um, it was theoretical at the time, uh, the LIGO collaboration was a collaboration. It's still, still there. It's probably bigger, a lot bigger than when I was in it, but it's about 50 institutions and about a thousand scientists all over the world. And they were trying to detect ripples in space time that Einstein had predicted, but said they're so small, no one will ever see them. And, you know, said challenge accepted. And <laughs> they went right. and, did it. and I left in 2014 and in 2015, they detected gravitational waves and won the Nobel Prize. But I'm oh not there. Oh, my gosh. That's fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's so hard because you're, like, obviously so excited that happened. But, like, oh, my God. That's I'm <laughs> not good timing. <laughs> I'm now, like, on the outside just looking through the glass. But, you know, I, I loosened the jarlet. And, and actually, like, professionally and personally, it was definitely the right decision. I don't regret making that career move. And I still love, you know, I, if people are interested in it, I still give talks about gravitational waves and LIGO is fine with me doing that. And so I'm still happy to be an ambassador for gravitational waves as it were. That's so awesome. (laughs) Um, I mean, that's, that's good that like, I, I guess it is satisfying to have worked on a project that was successful, even if you weren't there for like, you know, the yeah, moment that definitely. But that's kind of how science goes, right? Like, exactly. A, and it makes for really plan it. Yeah. And it makes for kind of weird, interesting dynamics, right? That you have people who have been trying to detect something for their entire professional career. And that was one of the reasons that I was leaving actually was because I was a postdoc and there was funding for gravitational waves. We were right on the cusp of it and everyone kind of knew that, but funding wasn't huge. And so jobs were really hard to come by. And 
I was looking down the barrel of, you know, every year, every two years moving to probably a different country, let alone just a different university. And I was not necessarily wanting to do that. And the reason there were so few jobs, permanent jobs, is because you had professors who'd been working on this stuff since the 60s and 70s who were like, I am not retiring until we detect gravitational waves because this is my entire career. Um, And honestly, it is so funny that a lot of them did like retire (laughs) right afterwards because that was it. That was what they wanted. Um, but I mean, that makes sense. If you're holding on for that thing and then you get it, you're like, okay, I can let go now. (laughs) I can let go. Yeah. And you know, and it was really cool to just be a part of it. Even when they made the detection and the announcement, you know, I have friends who are like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, this is happening type thing. (laughs) And, uh, and then seeing the announcement and seeing the signal, it still gave me chills. Like I got emotional because that was a big deal. And I know how hard everyone was working, but there was actually a guy who's a sociologist named Harry Collins, who actually is a part of LIGO to study the scientists and what it's like to oh, work wow. in that environment. <laughs> Whoa. It's weird. I bet that's, I've never thought about that, but I bet that's super interesting. Yeah. The psychology of like being just on the cusp and the sociology of massive discoveries and, uh, and what it does to a thousand scientists. <laughs> yeah. Cause I feel like that's not, there are like, there are movies about, you know, breakthroughs, but it's normally not like real life is a lot longer than what yeah. you can see in a movie. And I'm sure the toll that that takes on everyone is just wild. If you've never been in that position. Yeah, exactly. So no regrets at all. It's still cool. The science that's coming out of it is awesome. And I love still being able to share that with people. Yeah. So what did you do after leaving? Yeah. So I left academia and I moved back to the States and I worked then as an educator because I really did like teaching. That was something that I was really drawn to. And I had started kind of giving public talks and I was teaching a couple classes here and there. And so I was looking for jobs to do that. And I found some adjunct professor positions at local community colleges. And I also worked part time at a science museum. Um, But all of that cobbled together barely paid my student loans. So I also had to work at Starbucks and um, and that was fine. They took, you know, you get benefits if you work for like 20 hours. So that was pretty sweet for someone like me who's balancing three jobs. Yeah. Um, but it just wasn't sustainable as a career. And so I started transitioning more into like, all right, I need to find something I can do that pays my bills that would allow me to still, even if it's just doing public speaking on occasional, like Comic-Con type things. And so I started working in the aerospace industry and that's actually been a really good job. I, didn't realize how similar it would be to science. Cause when you're in academia, a lot of this, you know, almost everyone you interact with in like a field like physics, that's very research heavy, hardly anyone has been outside of a university their entire life. They've gone from undergraduate to graduate, to postdoc, to postdoc, to postdoc, to postdoc, and then they get a professorship and then that's it. And so there's a lot of like suspicion and uncertainty about what's out there. And people will, you know, be like, oh, you're copping out. Like, you're never going to find anything. This is the dream job. I don't know why you're leaving places like this. And honestly, like, I still 
when I do aerospace engineering and when I have done it, it's fulfilled those same things. I still have problems I solve. I get to do, you know, cool sort of science experiments. I get to be critical thinking. I get to mentor, you know, junior engineers in the same way I used to mentor PhD students. And so I still felt really fulfilled. The only thing I was missing was doing the teaching side of it. And then, so that's kind of how I started filling that void by going to conventions and teaching science behind all the really geeky stuff that I love. (laughs) That's so cool. I love that you found, I mean, I feel like that journey is very, very relatable in some way to a lot of people. Like a lot of us study something and then do a version of it right after school. And then that isn't always like career possible. And then sort of, you know, do a little figuring out in the middle. And then if things work out well, you land somewhere that is like able to use all the things that you liked about what you studied. So that's super cool that you found a way to make it work to do all the part. I mean, you know, it's, it's not doing every single job you've ever maybe thought you liked, but it, it, it fulfills all the pieces that you care about, which is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's important for people to know, too, that it's, you know, following your instincts and having a, a solid job that you can fall back on because then like my personal life kind of bottomed out under me. But I knew that now I was in an industry where I could like find I was a little bit more flexible that I could find something else to do. So that was really important to me. Um And because I'd been doing all these conventions, I'd met a lot of writers and actors and showrunners and those sort of things. And they were asking for help on their projects. And so that's actually what brought me out to Los Angeles. And then as well as personal life bottoming out, which also is relatable and happens to a lot of people. And so now it's like I have a combination. I, you know, it's so hard when people ask what I do because I just wear so many hats. I do some I still do some aerospace engineering as a technical consultant. And then I also work as a consultant for writers and then I do all of my science outreach. So I've kind of cobbled together a bit of a dream job, but it's not been straightforward or (laughs) stress-free. Yeah. Again, I think that checks (laughs) like normally when you cobble together things that aren't necessarily like maybe no one else has really done before, or maybe, you know, you're doing something pretty unique. It normally is not super easy, but it's really fulfilling if you get it. I have, I wanted to ask you about um, your sci-fi consulting. Cause I don't know that I actually knew. I think if I thought about it, I would have realized that's an actual job <laughs> that people do, but I don't think I really like knew that before. Yeah. It's really interesting. So it's just the idea that when you say science fiction as a genre, right? That has a whole spectrum between science and fiction. (laughs) And and some writers really want to make sure that their stuff is as scientifically accurate as possible. And they reach out to people and friends to say, hey, can you read this? Or can you look over the script and just let me know what you think? And it's usually pretty informal. But what I've been able to do with it is because I'm a huge sci-fi fan and I love the entertainment industry, I take kind of a yes and approach to science consulting. 
because when those people reach out to their science buddies and they're like, hey, can you, you know, you work at JPL. Can you look at this and tell me if this makes sense? And then they come back and they're like, nope, that's dumb. Science says no. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Kills the spirit and they don't want to ask for help again. And I'm like, well, you know, okay, if this is what you want to do, that's fine. Like, let's just make sure the words are right, that there's nothing wrong in it. And if we're pushing the bounds of science, like, let's see what we can relate it to that would be cool. But sometimes, I mean, I have writers that are just like, can you just read this and let me know if you throw up in your mouth? Like, that's all I care about. (laughs) It's so, so wrong that like no one can even. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I just, I mean, I am at my happiest when I'm reading scripts or manuscripts that are just like science, cool science fiction. And I'm just trying to help tweak it here and there to make it a little bit you know, more what they're looking for. And it's just, yeah. And, and I think they have existed in different franchises, you know, there, some are more notable than others. Sometimes it's because the writers have come from a science background. Um, you know, the Martian, like Andy Weir was an aerospace engineer. And so there are always some ties, but it's certainly something I've kind of had to carve out and fight for because when writers have had those bad experiences, they're like, I'm not asking a scientist. I'm just going to do my own thing. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 I can help. Yeah. I can help. So yeah. So that's really no, I fun. Bet that's so valuable because I can understand, I can completely picture someone being like, no, this is wrong. And then like end of conversation. Cause also, you know, that, if you're asking a scientist who is like busy doing their scientist things, like it right. takes extra work to like then help solve the problem. Like what you have right now doesn't work, but like you need you need a lot of knowledge and then you also need some like creative problem solving and then you need to care probably to like help the writer put all those things together in a new way. So I totally can see how you need a very specific person (laughs) to be able to do that job well. Yeah. And it's, but it's, I'm very lucky that I can do that (laughs) because I love it. That's so cool. Is it, are you working on like books and like film and and TV things? Yeah, pretty much uh, across the board. I typically get interest from people at conventions who are writing books. So kind of after convention season ends, which is about now, then I get a few inquiries for people to like read their manuscripts, but then occasionally just being physically here in LA, you know, as I'm out meeting people, they'll, people are always working on scripts and those are a little bit less uh, time intensive to go through. They can still, you know, stretch out a lot, especially if people are wanting help with concepts, but the uh, editing scripts, you know, it'll just be occasionally here and there, but yeah, books and, and scripts. The only thing I really would like not necessarily work on is, for example, if someone was wanting to write a really heavy, heavy science book that wasn't my field, like I can speak to a pretty generic level about like quantum physics. But if you're going to be talking about the inner workings of a quantum computer, like I can call a friend (laughs) and (laughs) be the inner person in between there. (laughs) So, yeah, that makes sense. Like, it would be very hard to know everything about every version of science fiction that is out there. So, but but, you know, I get asked a lot of times, especially from scientists, like how, how can I start doing the conventions, you know, for example. And for me, 
I, the invaluable thing that I had was working part-time at that science museum because, you know, for me, it was a job. So it was a part-time job. I was there like four days a week for, you know, seven hours a day or whatever. And I would speak to every background and every personality and they would have every question under the sun. And me being an astrophysicist, they were like, go stand in the space area and just answer questions. And so I'd get like a 10 year old who just read about black holes and wants to know about that. Or I'd get, you know, a retired engineer who's curious about like what we're doing with Mars right now, or someone who hasn't taken a science class since the fifties and is trying to wrap their head around like sunrise and sunset, you know, like, and, and moon phases. And so that was just a, and that was all day, every day that I was there. And that really taught me what people are interested in, made me be comfortable saying, I don't know the answer, but I can help you look it up and interpret it you know, help you find reliable resources. You know, we would carry like laptops or pads with us to just look, look things up real quick. And that all of that was really, really useful training for this. That's so cool. And that, that does make a lot of sense. Like we have resources and half of the, I mean, you know, maybe the biggest thing is just being able to like interpret Mm -hmm. what that is to find your answer. So that makes a lot of sense that you knowing how to do the research you need is like actually what you're doing and not just knowing every single thing about how the entire universe works all the time. That's exactly (laughs) it. Yeah. Even with the writers, when I'm convincing people to hire me, you know, that to say, look, yeah, you could look this stuff up yourself, but it's going to take you a lot longer because you're going to be trying to filter through and interpret it. And, you know, I can, I have that knowledge base to know exactly what we need to look up to exactly what level. <laughs> and, and that really helps. Yeah. Cause sometimes I feel I have like a, I have a general understanding of science. Like I, I took astronomy classes in college and, um, I'm married to someone who is not a scientist, but super, super interested. And I have friends who do things in those fields. So I feel like I have a, a, a general like basis of science understanding, but it is still tricky sometimes to like go to try to do research on your own because there are so many like core concepts that if you don't quite get that right, you can like interpret other things completely wrong. So it's super valuable to have someone that's like making sure the path you're on as you try to learn something is like (laughs) actually the right path. (laughs) Exactly. And it's even just down to saying like on versus in, you know, like we're going to be, we're on a gravitational well. No, you'd be in a gravitational well and those little nuances. Yeah. And just knowing that that's so cool. So you do, um, so you speak at conventions and things and you also have other things online, right? Like you do, you do other things. Yeah. In the the virtual world, (laughs) I think creators are what we're called now. Yeah. Um, so (laughs) I, uh, yeah, when I was speaking at conventions, I'd go back to the same ones every year and people would be like, Oh man, is your stuff online? I really want to show like my, my kid or my uncle or, you know, someone, I want to show them what, what this is. And, and so I started recording stuff just by hundred percent solo 
you know, production company making uh, my stuff into online videos. So I called it Dr. Aaron Explains the Universe. And it was, you know, my friends helped me come up with that title. I was really uncomfortable with the doctor. (laughs) Thank you. It took me a long time (laughs) to get comfortable with the Dr. Aaron thing because in academia, you don't throw down your PhD because like everyone has one, you know? So I was like, oh, I can't like Dr. Aaron, I'm, I don't want to be like, in, people think that I insist being called that. But my friend was like, no, dude, like there's so much nonsense on the internet out there. And you're a woman covered in tattoos. Like you have to throw down that you have a PhD and like be comfortable with that. Also, you did so much work to get that. Like (laughs) own it. I think that's amazing. So also (laughs) that it is good to be like, no, I actually know what I'm talking about. But also I worked really hard for this. So (laughs) Dr. Aaron, yes. (laughs) <laughs> and it's totally stuck. Like, I, I love it. I've, I have definitely come to embrace it. So so I put a whole bunch online and Dr. Aaron Explains the Universe. And it's not dead. It hasn't been updated in a while because I did actually also get an offer to do these for an Audible series for The Great Courses. So The Great Courses is, if people have heard or seen the ads before, you know, they work with professors to put entire semester video recordings of semester courses online and then people can sort of pay, but it's like a semester academic course. And they were looking for something that was like a little bit more nuggets and could be audio only and kind of reach a bigger audience and be a little bit, you know, better price point for people who are just kind of casually interested. And so I produced a, I helped with I wrote, I didn't produce, I wrote and recorded an audible series for them called the science of sci-fi from warp drive, from interstellar travel to warp drive. And it just came out this week. So people can get it on audible and that's my little plug, but I'm really proud of it. No, that's so cool. And I think, I think most of the people listening are going to be in that realm of like, maybe not necessarily interested in sitting down with like a, a, college like class but are interested in just like knowing more about this in a more like casual or accessible way so I think that is like the perfect um overlap of if you're interested but not necessarily trying to like make it a career just want to know I think that's really really cool And it's only, I think it came out at like four hours or something. So it's like 10 episodes and it's also way more accessible (laughs) than a whole semester's worth. (laughs) It's a good sort of like month's worth of commuting or, you know, a couple days worth, depending where you live. But, um, you know, and it's all we go through, like uh, science of time travel, multiverse theory, artificial gravity, faster than light travel, just all sorts of fun sci-fi nonsense and, and teach a lot of science behind that. So you're going to come out like knowing stuff about Einstein and space time and general relativity and, and, uh, and there's no, no math, no equations. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) yes, that is awesome. (laughs) A lot of people I'm sure will be really interested in that part. (laughs) Exactly. Well, it's funny because not to go off on a complete tangent, but it's interesting because there's so many people I think wanted to take astronomy when they were in college because it's cool and you get to learn about space and you have to take a science credit. So you're like, all right, I'll just go stare at the stars and learn about space because space is awesome. And then they have to do Mm -hmm. equations and they're like, oh, well, this sucks. And I used to teach those classes. So I know that students react that way. But (laughs) 
The thing is, is I think that it's a more a product of the fact that in order to teach astronomy 101, you have to have a background in astronomy. You have to be a, a scientist and a, have a degree in it. By the time you get a degree in astrophysics, you're so in the weeds and the equations that very few people can explain this stuff without the math. And so that's something that I've really tried to do is find ways to explain concepts like orbits and gravity and all of these things without an equation, because you don't need to be able to plug it in as long as you have an understanding of how it works. And so that's kind of the approach I've always taken. That's great because so much, I mean, you know, people have baggage from school sometimes and (laughs) also just like as adults, sometimes we're like, no, like I, the number of times, even just going out to a restaurant and people trying to figure out like how to pay the bill. And they're like, math is not my thing. <laughs> so sometimes right. people have these stories like written about themselves, even if they aren't necessarily completely true. That's just like, if there's math, I'm not interested. So I think that is a great thing to be able, I totally understand why that's hard to do and why more yeah. professors like haven't figured that out. But I think that's really, really cool that you have. Thanks. I try. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that is like a great place to end. I just really quickly want to ask you what's your, either what's your like favorite sci-fi or like what was the first oh. sci-fi that got you like super interested in this because I know you like all of it so maybe favorite is (laughs) too hard of a question an overwhelming is there one that has like a special place in your heart I guess maybe (laughs) for sure I mean uh, without yeah going way too in the weeds I mean I 100% became a scientist because of Dana Scully the x-files was like my jam and I wasn't allowed to watch it that much. And I watched it obsessively recorded on VHS and just, I got to see a redheaded woman like fight aliens with science. And I was obsessed with her and loved her and I, and aliens. And, um, but then, yeah, I mean the whole gambit from star Wars to star Trek and, you know, Firefly, Battlestar Galactica, my favorite movie of all time is galaxy quest though. So if you get me started on galaxy quest, I will quote that with you for hours. Like, oh man, that movie. Oh, that makes me so happy. Yeah. It's a I'm loving. So I asked you that. <laughs> it's a loving Star Trek parody with Alan Rickman and Sigourney Weaver. Like it's the perfect movie. Yeah. And so, it's also, I mean, especially now that you are traveling to comic cons to speak, like that <laughs> level of it too is even. It's brilliant. Oh, man, that's so great best movie that is the perfect answer i'm so glad you said that (laughs) yeah x-files and galaxy quest is that's it they're both just great that's so awesome thank you so much for chatting with me this is this has been so cool to meet you and hear about what you're doing i'm like so motivating to hear that jobs like this can exist i think that's really really awesome Thank you. Yeah, this has been really fun. I really appreciate it. Um, if people want to find me online, I'm mostly geeking out on Twitter at Dr. Aaron Mack, Dr. Aaron Mack. And, um, and my website is Aaron P. MacDonald, like P for Patricia. And that's where I post like online stuff, links to this podcast and other podcasts that I've interviewed on. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you in the virtual world. 
Yeah. Do you, when you're going to a Comic-Con, do you post on Twitter which ones you'll be at? Oh yeah. They're on Twitter and then the whole list of them is on my website. Um, So yeah, the next one I'm doing probably won't be when this is up, but it's Starbase Indy in Indianapolis. And then I will be starting my 2020 conventions. I'm also a guest on the Star Trek cruise, but that is sadly sold out. So (laughs) (gasps) Oh, I've heard such good things about that. It's awesome. That's so cool. It's everything yeah, you everyone want to get be. on the wait list for future years. I've heard only amazing things about that. That's and I get to do science. So cool. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, thank so you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you yeah, so much. This yeah. was really fun. Yeah. So everyone go follow Dr. Aaron and also check out that audible original, the science of sci-fi. That's really, really cool. Thank you so much, Aaron. Yeah. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can head to our archives to hear more or hit subscribe to hear what's coming up next. If you want to go a step above and beyond, you can leave us a review on iTunes, which helps other nerdy people find us. Or you can go to patreon.com slash sartorialgeek to help keep the podcast going and check out the cool rewards that we have over there. Have a great week and stay nerdy. Stay nerdy.